Will you open your Bibles to John's Gospel? We're going to begin reading in chapter 3 and read into John chapter 14. Jesus has just dismissed Judas from the disciples. And we begin our reading at verse 31. John 13, verse 31. Therefore, when he, that's Judas, was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, cometh unto the Father, but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. From henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? 
He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So far the reading of God's word. In our text are the first three verses of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word again this evening. Beloved our Lord Jesus Christ, for this Lent season, as we study the sufferings and the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, I want to take time to look at some of the disciples' reactions to G what Jesus has to say, beginning tonight with troubled hearts. Jesus' disciples needed comfort and reassurance. They were frightened little children. They were confused with what Jesus was saying to them. It seemed to them that their world was coming to an end, their plans crumbling beneath their feet. These men had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They were Jesus' closest companions. They were his disciples or students, and he was their master their teacher, they had observed what he had been doing. They had admired his words and they worshipped him. For him, they had forsaken everything. For them, for him, they had endured opposition even from the religious leaders. But Jesus had been giving them troubling words. How they were troubled when Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem. Why, Lord? They knew that the Jews were seeking Jesus to put him to death. <coughs> I must go to Jerusalem. Then Jesus tells them, I have power to lay down my life and to take it back up again. What does he mean? 
John 13, verse 33, which we read, <coughs> little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so say I now to you. And then those words from John 13, when Peter says, Lord, where goest thou? <coughs> Again, Jesus repeats that. Whither I go, thou canst not follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. What does that mean? Lord, why can't I follow thee now? I'll lay down my life for thy sake. And then the terrible words of Jesus before the cock crows in the morning. You will have denied me three times. Going away. Going away. What did that mean? How could that be so? Where was he going? How would that affect him? What about his kingdom? Questions. Questions. Crowded their minds. <coughs> Troubled minds. Jesus saw their troubled expressions on their face. And he knew what was going on in their hearts. And so Jesus speaks to them. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Beloved, are you, am I at times, troubled Troubled through manifold trials in our life. For the same Jesus who comforted his disciples speaks the same comforting words, soothing words to us. Words that we need to hear. Let not your hearts be troubled. So my theme is comfort for troubled hearts. Notice, first of all, the troubled hearts. Second of all, the comforting promise. And then thirdly, the call to faith. The disciples had troubled hearts. What is a troubled heart, boys and girls? No, we're not talking about physically having troubles with the heart, that you need surgery. But rather, we're talking about here spiritually and emotionally, it is to be in the grip of distress. Troubles come in our life. Sometimes they're rather superficial troubles, just on the surface of our life. Everyday trials and irritations Perhaps it's the aches and pains of old age. Perhaps it's some kind of meal that you really don't fancy. Perhaps it's something that someone says to you and you're unsettled by it. It ticks you off. Perhaps it's a lonely day when no one visits. 
the grace of God helps us to deal with those kind of irritations. But over against those small irritations, there are also troubles that strike our heart. When a loved one is taken away from us and we're left alone. When a son or a daughter is rebellious and leaves the faith. Perhaps a long lingering illness that you have to deal with not just for a little while, perhaps for the rest of your life. Troubles that strike the heart. And when these troubles strike the heart, everything hurts, doesn't it? And why? Because the heart is that spiritual center of a person. From the heart are where our thoughts proceed. Before we speak a word, before a word is on our lips, we conceive of that thought in our hearts. When the Pharisees were thinking evil things about Jesus, Jesus said to them in Mark 2 verse 8, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? So the heart is the rational center of our being. Second of all, the heart is the emotional center of, our pers- of a person. We use that word heart. We feel with our heart such emotions as love, anger, fear. Our hearts are the source of our affections. And our heart reacts. The heart is the volitional center of a person. We use the words, I will do this and I will do that. I desire this. I plan to do this. These are my ambitions. Why do we do certain things and avoid other things? And the reason is our heart. Solomon urges, and we read in Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are all the issues of life. The hearts of Jesus' disciples were troubled. And Jesus now says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. What Jesus is saying is, stop being troubled in your heart. Boys and girls, I want you to picture a moment in your minds a strong wind upon the lake. And the water is coming in white waves, restless. As that restless sea, so also at times are our hearts. Troubled hearts means hearts that are agitated, hearts that are confused, hearts that are stirred up, hearts that are perplexed, hearts that are disquieted, hearts that are restless. And Jesus could see that on his disciples' faces. Their thoughts running to and fro. 
They didn't know what to think or what they were going to do. The master's talking about leaving them. He's going to Jerusalem, and now he is in Jerusalem, and he says he has to lay down his life. Their emotions were all over the place. They were like frightened, confused little children. Jesus knew their thoughts, and he cared for his disciples. And you know what? Jesus, even though he is now in heaven, hasn't changed. Even though he is in heaven in his Father's right hand, ruling the world, he never forgets his people, but he sees them with his eye. Jesus bears our burdens. He understands our sorrows. He sympathizes with us. That's the Savior that you and I have today. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in times of need. Jesus' heart is for our hearts. Again, what is the reason for these disciples' troubled hearts? Jesus was leaving them. In fact, Jesus was leaving them that very night. He would be taken away from them. Jesus had said some very disturbing things. When he was sitting there with his disciples eating the Passover, he says, one of you is going to betray me. He said, another one, you will deny me. And even worse, he said, little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You will seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, only a little while, Am I with you? I'm leaving. Troubled, confused at what the Lord said. They didn't know yet what Jesus meant with these words. They didn't know where he was going to go. They didn't know how he was going to go. Why would he go away? Why couldn't they follow him? How or when would he ever return? Oh, they sort of knew the answer to some of those questions, but they didn't like the answer. They took those scriptures and they kind of pushed them away when he kept on talking about his death and his suffering. Jesus had spoken of that suffering and death several times. And even there, as Jesus has the last supper with his disciples, he takes that bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body, broken for you. And as he pours out that wine, he says, this is my blood, poured out for you and for many. Confusing words, troubling words. And yet with those troubles in their hearts, 
Notice here the beauty of our Savior. He takes the time to comfort them. I find that amazing. I find that very touching. It's Jesus who's going to die. It's Jesus who's going to be forsaken by his Father. They don't comfort him, but he comforts them. Oh, the troubles of Jesus. Arrested like a common thief by the Jews. Tried and condemned by false trials. Crucified. And yes, do you see the Lord Jesus there when he's in the garden all alone because his disciples can't enter into his suffering? He has to do it alone. And he sweats great drops, as it were, of blood because he knows the wrath of God that has rested upon him and will especially rest upon him there on the cross. He would die. And yet, with those troubles that Jesus faces himself as our mediator, he's more concerned about his disciples' troubled hearts than his own sorrows. Touching. Just as he is concerned about each one of his disciples, that is his children, you and me. Jesus speaks soothing words to those troubled hearts. Wonderful, cheerful words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Beloved, those words are not a mere suggestion. Jesus isn't saying it would be nice now if you wouldn't be so troubled. But rather, this is a command. Jesus is saying to them, stop doing that. I can see your hearts troubled. Let that trouble stop. Let it stop now. I can see that you're confused. You're in turmoil. Let there be no more agitation. Let there be no more turmoil in you. Let that trouble stop. Notice Christ's word is here spoken not merely to the disciples, but it is spoken to their hearts. And Jesus' word is effectual. It is powerful. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You see, Jesus is speaking here right to the source of the disciples' trouble. It's not their circumstances. Yes, their circumstances look dark right then. But it's the disciples' response to those circumstances in their life that's troubling their hearts. What is God's word to you and me today, tonight? Do not react to the circumstances in your life with troubled hearts. Instead, trust, believe, be at peace with the Lord. John 14, verse 27, we didn't read that in that chapter yet. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Boys and girls, do you remember that Bible story, that historical event 
when Jesus was with his disciples in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was sound asleep. He had been teaching all day long. He was tired. And as he's sleeping, all of a sudden the wind whips up. And the Sea of Galilee, which many different times, can become very troubled and restless. And the disciples are afraid. The Sea of Galilee is only a picture of what was happening in their hearts when they were there in the boat. And they cry out to Jesus. They wake him up and they say, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus stands up and Jesus says, peace, be still. And the wind suddenly stopped and the water was flat as a pancake. Peace. That is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And that is the words that Jesus is saying to his disciples still today and in every age. The benediction that we hear every sermon, morning and evening. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. From God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. God's grace, where in his grace he shows mercy to us. And how we need that mercy. And through that mercy, we receive peace. We're at one with the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid. So that when you and I face sudden, devastating blows, our natural reaction would be to be troubled like that Sea of Galilee. Fear, confusion, agitation. You get a call from the doctor. I've read your reports. You've got cancer. The death of a loved one, whether it be a little child or whether it be an aged saint that you've been married to. And as terrible as those two are, probably even worse, a wayward child, rebellious, leaving the church, and you can't do anything about it. Only God can change the heart, can't he? The loss of a job, suddenly unemployed. How are you going to take care of your family? Disquieted, turmoil, panic, helplessness. Where shall we go? What can I do? How can I cope? Troubled hearts. Jesus speaks words of peace. Let not your heart be troubled. A command. Stop being troubled. If Jesus can stop a restless sea by his word, he also can do that with restless hearts, troubled hearts. And how does he do it? The same way that he did with his disciples. That brings me to my second point. By comforting promises. Jesus 
comforts his troubled disciples. He explains something about his departure from them and where he's going to go and why he's going to go. He is leaving. His disciples don't know the destination. They don't know the purpose. Why is he going away from us? John 14, verse 2, I go. I am going away. Verse 3, he repeats that, and if I go away. Verse 4, whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Jesus, first of all, explains to them his departure. His disciples are not going to be going with him. It's going to be difficult for them. For three and a half years, they had been with Jesus. They enjoyed those times with Jesus And he's not going to be any longer physically with them. He's not going on an ordinary journey. But it's going to be a very long journey. A journey to heaven. And the path to that place, that destination, is going to be a very difficult path, isn't it? It is the path of suffering. And that is the path that every believer also has to take to glory. It is suffering with Jesus and for Jesus. And after his death, his path to that destination is that of the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, and the session at God's right hand. And he's going to be staying away for a long, long time from his church on earth, more than 2,000 years. Jesus explains his departure, and he explains, second of all, his destination. He says, I go to my father, or I go to my father's house. That is the place where God the Father with Jesus Christ, his son, call home. I'm going to my father. He's talking there as our savior. He's talking to the triune God. As a mediator, he is saying, I'm going to my Father and your Father. I'm going to my God and your God. I'm going there. He prays, he obeys, and he worships the triune God. He is our God and he is our Father, for we are his adopted children, aren't we? Heaven where the triune God dwells in glory and in majesty. Heaven is where Jesus is going, and heaven is also where his adopted children, you and I, will dwell. It's a beautiful place. It's a place of love and joy and light and holiness and beauty and glory. Oh, how John the Baptist on the island of Patmos, suffering for Jesus' sake there, exiled, is given a view of heaven. It is a place where there's no more sorrow, no more fear, no more trouble, no more pain, no more temptation, no more sin, no more death. I go to my Father. I go to my Father's house. 
Jesus used to live there, and now he is returning to be with his father. And now he describes for them that father's house. He says, in my father's house, we read, are many mansions, verse 2. Mansions. It probably conveys to us the wrong idea. Yes, it's going to be a beautiful place, but the word here doesn't really mean so much beautiful, but rather an abiding place. When we hear the word mansion, we think of the filthy rich, perhaps on Facebook. At times they will show some of these mansions that the movie stars or political figures have. Beautiful grounds, huge, huge place. That's not the idea here so much of the beauty, but rather it is an abiding place. For in verse 23, we have really the very same word used there. We read there, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him, and we will make our abode with him, our mansion with him. The word comes from the Greek verb, which means to stay, or to remain, or to abide. And so he's saying to his disciples, don't be troubled at my departure because my father's house where I am going is spacious, it is roomy, it is vast. Why is that such a comfort? Because there's more than enough room there for those who believe in Jesus Christ. There is room there for the multitudes of the Old Testament saints that lived and believed in God and are saved and are now in heaven. There's plenty of room for all the New Testament saints that live and believe in Christ and are taken home. And there is room there for you and me as believers. What a beautiful description of heaven. A house a home where there is love, a place where we're going to have fellowship with God in Christ Jesus. There are many rooms there. And living in a house just as our home should be a picture of heaven, beautiful fellowship between the father and the mother and the children, living together, enjoying one another, conversing with one another. That's what heaven is all about. Jesus says, I'm going there and there's plenty of room there for you troubled disciples. Jesus explains, thirdly, the purpose of his departure. Why is he going now? I go to prepare a place for you, verse 2. Oh, it's wonderful to hear about heaven. It's wonderful to have a description about heaven in the book of Revelation, but what about you and me? We're living down here in this filthy world where there's sin all around, there's sickness, there's pain, and there's death. Comforting words because Jesus is going to heaven 
not to dwell there all alone with his father. Jesus is going there, not that there are many rooms there are going to remain unoccupied. We don't have a Savior who is hoping and wanting to save, but there's so many that are willing to save them, and so there's rooms unoccupied. No, not at all. There are many rooms there. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, Jesus says, I would have told you. Really, those words should be in a question form. If it were not so, would I not have told you that? If there is not such a place as heaven, would not I have told you that? If it's not the Father's house where there's a beautiful communion and fellowship, would I not have told you that? If there's only a few little spots there, wouldn't I have told you that? If there's only room for a few, would I not have told you? Jesus here, by his words to his troubled disciples, speaks of the reality of heaven and also the roominess of heaven. What peace for troubled hearts. Heaven. Dwelling with our God in many spacious rooms. But for the disciples to be able to go there. And for you and me to go there. Preparation is necessary. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. For Jesus' disciples, heaven is not yet ready for their arrival. I go to prepare a place for you. How can they dwell there in God's house with God? A Peter who denied Jesus three times? The disciples who of themselves have little faith and all of them forsook him when they take him away to crucify him? How could they go there? How can you and I go there when we are so guilty of so, so many sins? We're depraved. For us to go with all our sins there would be like that pig that was sacrificed in the temple by Antichius Epiphanes shortly before this history. Heaven isn't ready and the disciples aren't ready for heaven. And the same is true of you and me, of ourselves. Jesus must prepare a place for us. That brings the question, and fourthly then, what is that preparation? How does he prepare that place? And it's twofold. He prepares a place for them, the disciples. He prepares a place for us, his disciples now. I go, Jesus says. Jesus is going to go there to the Garden of Gethsemane and to wrestle with his Father in heaven. 
He's going to wrestle with his father about the father's will for him. Must he drink that cup? And he says, but not my will. Thy will be done. He has to go there to the judgment halls of Annas and Caiaphas and later on to Pilate's courtroom. Beat upon, spit, labeled a blasphemer. That's how he's got to go to prepare that place. Jesus is saying when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, he says, I'm going to go to Calvary. I'm going to be nailed there to the cross. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And I'm going to go to Joseph's tomb, the place of the dead, in order to conquer that place of death. So that as we read so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Why must Jesus go that way? And the answer is because of your and my sin and the disciples' sin. The guilt of that sin has to be washed away from us. And the pollution of that sin that corrupts all that we say and we do, that also has to be broken. The power of sin has to be broken in your and my lives. Jesus must go to prepare a place by paying the full price of our sins on the cross. He says, I'm going to do that, disciples, for you. You who deny me. You who forsake me. You and I who over and over sin against God in our daily lives. That's the first step to Jesus preparing a place for us. Second of all, he goes to prepare a place for us by his resurrection. I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it up again. He prepares that place by ascending up into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And he receives the Holy Spirit and by that spirit he pours it out on the church. That's how he is going to prepare rooms for us. You see, even if the disciples' sins were forgiven, they still themselves were not fit for heaven. Not only must they be justified, but they need to be sanctified. They need to be cleansed of all the pollution of their sin. But now, in order to live the heavenly life, they need more than that yet. They need new life. They need new hearts. Heavenly spiritual life. And Jesus gives that life by his resurrection. Isn't that what our catechism so beautifully tells us? That's one of the advantages of Jesus' resurrection, that that very resurrection life that he has, he gives to you and to me a heavenly life. Only one who is pardoned of all his sins. Only one who is cleansed of all of his sins, only one who is filled with the Holy Spirit can dwell in the Father's house. That is the work of Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you. But thirdly, Jesus prepares a place for us 
with that beautiful promise, but I will come again to take you with me where I am. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, we read, and receive you unto myself. What a promise. Jesus comes for the believer at his death. That is the point of our death, isn't it? It's our gateway up into heaven where there's going to be no more sin or temptation, sickness or pain or sorrow or death. At that point, heaven is ready for us and we are ready for our particular place in heaven. Jesus comes for us. In the book of Hebrews... Jesus in heaven right now is pictured as sitting at God's right hand. Why is he sitting there? Well, the book of Hebrews says, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament priest could never rest. They could never sit down. There was always more sacrifices to bring over and over and over and over again. But, in contrast, Jesus, our high priest, when he had offered up the one sacrifice of himself on the cross, he is able to sit down. Because as he said from the cross, it is finished. Sins paid in full. Boys and girls, do you remember the vision of Stephen? A vision given to him when he is charged with blasphemy. And the Jews take Stephen outside the walls of Jerusalem and they're going to stone him. And even as the stones start coming, Stephen has a vision. And he sees Jesus standing. Hebrews says he's sitting because his work of accomplishing our salvation is accomplished. But Stephen sees Jesus standing, standing ready to come and take Stephen home with him. And that's the beautiful promise that Jesus now gives to the disciples. At the end of our life, when God's purpose with our life is over here on earth, when our place is prepared for us, Jesus, with his angels, comes to take us to be with him. What a beautiful teaching, what comfort the scriptures give us. When we die, our soul doesn't lay in the grave with a body that turns to dust. And our soul does not have to roast over the grates of hell to somehow purge out the rest of our sins. They're gone. But our soul is immediately taken up to glory. Oh, at that time, our body is not yet ready. And the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth is not yet ready for our body. So our body rests in the grave. And so... Jesus' work is not yet complete, is it? It's not complete, that is, his complete work of salvation until he returns on the clouds of heaven to take us, body and soul, to heaven. 
That's Jesus' great desire and what a comfort he gives to his disciples when he says in verse 3, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Understand, beloved, Christ's departure was necessary. Christ's departure is only temporary. God, Christ's departure in his death was a blessing. It's good. Notice with me, thirdly, this evening, Jesus' call to faith. Faith that can soothe and quiet the troubled heart. We've seen the disciples' troubled hearts. We know our own troubled hearts at times. We've seen Jesus' comforting promise. What is the answer? How can this heart trouble be soothed and quieted? One way. One way. By faith alone in God's promises. Jesus says, ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now those words could be in the indicative mood, which means simply stating facts. You believe in God, you believe in me. But they could also be understood in the imperative mood, which is a command. Oh, you disciples with your troubled hearts, trouble because I'm going to leave you for a while, believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. What Jesus is really saying there, it's in the present tense, which means it's a continuing action. Continue to believe in God. Continue to believe in God in all of his promises throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Where God said there is going to be that seed of the woman that crushes the head of the serpent. The promise that came to Abraham that that his seed would be like the stars of the heaven and it would be like the sea of the seashore. Oh, is there going to be room in heaven for all that? Yes. It's got plenty of room for all of God's saints. Believe in God who gave that promise that there would be that son of David who would sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ. Continue to believe in me, Jesus says. All those disciples believed in Christ. Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Where else could we ever go? Continue to believe in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, but in his precious word he's speaking to believers today also only by continuing to believe will we have hearts that are not troubled by the trials in our life the sorrows of our life the sickness in our life don't lose heart many times our faith is small it wavers it's weak gets shaken, we become depressed, we doubt. Jesus is saying to you and to me, don't lose heart. 
press on in full assurance of faith. To believe in God is to believe in Jesus Christ and without faith in Christ, there is no faith in God, the true living God. What is that faith? It's a certain knowledge. It's a certain knowledge of all that God has revealed here in his word. And through that knowledge, it is assured confidence. Assured confidence not only that others are going to be going to that roomy house, but you and I also. Faith, which is a living bond with Christ Jesus. While he is in heaven and we're still on earth, yet we are made one. We are his body and where the head is the body also will follow. Yes, faith. Faith lays hold to the promises of God. Study those promises. Dwell on those promises of God's word with your children, with your grandchildren. He who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. Because of Christ's preparations for us. A house of many rooms. Jesus is coming again. Faith says, I believe. Faith says, it is well with my soul. Beautiful hymn written by a man who lost his wife and his children on a ship. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that was taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. Not troubled hearts. Faith in Christ Jesus is well. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for these precious, precious promises. We're thankful for thy tender, loving care for the disciples who are so troubled and despondent. And we're thankful, Father, that that same comfort comes to us in all of our trials and disappointments. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? Receive our thanks, Father. Help us to live in that living faith and that glorious hope. Jesus is coming again to take us to be with him. Amen.